excellent is your name in all the earth. We, your children, have gathered here this morning from diverse background and centered ourselves here this morning. And Lord, we have determined that it is because of your will that we are here today. We ask, dear Father, that as we've come, that we remove anything that will prevent us from hearing from you, seeing you today. Be honored and be glorified in our lives today. Lord, this being our 41st annual World Missions Conference. Lord, we thank you for how you have ministered and blessed and provided and protected over these many years. And we look forward in the coming days, Lord, as how just to be marveled again at how you will work in and through your people. Thank you for the opportunity 
We thank you for those who would have come to be with us during this time. We thank you, Lord, in advance for what will be experienced in these coming days. Be honored, be uplifted, and may your message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, be shared abroad from this place to the ends of the world. These things, Father, we ask in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's children says, Amen. Let's worship the Father. He's looking for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's read responsively from Psalm 97 as we reflect on that truth that we just sang, that the Lord indeed reigns forevermore. Males, together with me. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Females. Thick darkness surrounds him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord. All together. For you are the Lord, most high, over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing about that truth together. As we celebrate that the Lord is indeed in charge, he, ru he rules over all the earth. Let the earth rejoice, let the earth rejoice, let the people be
that should put a smile on your face today. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, that is the objective of missions. To bring about that time when the Lord will reign over all. And every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. Amen. That's what it's all about. To declare his glory throughout the world. Welcome to Calvary's 41st Annual World Missions Conference. Our theme for the week is the urgency of evangelism in the world. And we're so thankful for those whom God has brought our way again to minister to us during this time. Our special guest speaker for the week, we've had him here before, is our evangelist Ui Chin Aik. I know we are not related, even though some people say we look alike. Uh, but he's been here before. Ui is in, and his wife is involved in the mission program that equips evangelists to go into the tribal areas of Asia and the Pacific region of the world. And he's doing a tremendous job in equipping these individuals to share the gospel to those who've never heard. You'll be hearing from him later on, of course. Now, Ui Chinek has just written, is this your first one or second one? First one. First book, Turning Faces Towards Heaven, Everyone Can Advance the Gospel. He has some on sale, $20. You can purchase one as you go out, and he'll be there to sign. I told him that I'll publicize it if he gave me a commission, so he promised to do that. So let's get rid of it. There's only like 29 of the books that he has here. So please be sure to get a copy of that as well. Now, along with uh, now his wife, Lydia, who sings so beautifully, is not here with him this time because she's a teacher, and they wouldn't let her come off with him. So let's remember Lydia, though, and pray for her while her husband is away. Maybe we need to pray more for him than for her, but let's pray for both of them. But we also have uh, a Samaritan coming here later on. This is Brother Keith Phillips and his wife, Beverly. I said Samaritan because, you know, Brother Keith is sort of Bahamian and a Jamaican. All right? And they won't be coming in until this evening, but they will be here to share uh, during the week as well. And especially on Friday, when Keith will be ministering to the young people along with another family that we're so glad to have here, Richard and Andrea Albrey from Camp Bahamas. Now, we're going to ask uh, the missionaries to come up as I call your names, please, Je we're a little crowded up here, so maybe we just stand in the front so the folk will see you. So, Ui, if you mind just standing. Uh, is uh, Richard and Andrea here? Richard and Andrea? Upstairs. Let's go, fellow. All right. And they'll be sharing as well. In fact, this coming Friday is going to be a special focus on youth. We will have, an, uh, we'll have a rally-type service and Richard and those will be ministering at that time. We're so thankful for what God is doing through uh, the ministry of Richard and Andrea there through the Camp Bahamas. So many young people are coming to place faith in Christ and are being discipled along those lines as well. Also, it's a privilege to have Eunice and Eddie Pindy with us again, working with Sun Life. They're here, and you'll be hearing from them as well. Uh, we're thankful for their work with Sunlight, of course. Uh, please stand up, Richard. You're a young man. What's wrong with you? Uh, Eddie and Eunice working now in Cat Island, of course. And uh, you'll be hearing from them as well. And they'll be sharing a special need 
that we will be focusing on in Cat Island. So we're thankful for them. Now, we will also be hearing from some of our local missionaries, Rex, Pastor Rex Major. I don't have to call him Dr. Emeritus Evangelist Rex Major, Rex Major Associates. He'll be here to share with us as well. Uh, then we have uh, Kim and uh, Mark Wallace with Adventure Learning Center. They will be coming to share along with us as well. We are also going to be having some video reports from some of our young people, some of our missionaries who are involved in missions abroad. Sierra Albury, for instance, now in South Africa, doing a good work amongst young people over there. We'll be hearing from her through video. Also, we'll be hearing from a pastor with whom Chris Worrell is working in Thailand. Chris is involved in a tremendous ministry over there, and we've asked him to have a video prepared concerning the ministry that he's involved in along with the uh, Thailand pastor, and we'll be hearing from him as well. And I think also there'll be a video from my daughter, Sandy Lee, who's working with Navigators, and also with, uh, what's it? Issachar, Issachar Ministries, working with cross, in a cross-cultural setting. Sandy's involved in training leaders for that ministry. And then, of course, we hope to hear from uh, a Haitian pastor, uh, Winley. Joseph Winley. Wenli, well, not Wenli. <laughs> you know what I mean. And I understand he's also going to be bringing his choir with him this time, right? Yeah, he's going to be bringing his choir with him again. So we're having a tremendous time this weekend. Now, we also have a different schedule. We will be going through with our meetings during the week until, when, until Wednesday. Thursday will be the night off. Then we come back on Friday where we have an, a rally that is especially directed towards our young people. Richard and Brother Keith will be ministering especially. So we want you to prepare for that. Uh, it's going to be evangelistically oriented, of course. So bring and encourage your young people and their friends to come out during that time. Uh, ask you to be praying for these meetings, and we encourage you to, to come. The meetings in the evening, except for the night, we, our meetings will be 6.30 tonight. But during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, It'll be at 7 o'clock. Okay, let's give them a greeting again and thank the Lord for their presence with us. Thank you. You may be seated. All right.
And now I'm going to invite our, one of our committee members from our missions uh, committee to come and share with you just an update, Sister Una Carey, as to how you might be involved. But she bring you up to date on Adopt a Missionary. Would you please welcome her, please, Una Carey. Hi, good morning, church. Um, some of our missionaries have already been adopted, but we definitely have more to be adopted. And that doesn't mean that you have to go through a legal process to adopt them. <laughs> By a missionary adoption program, we mean you pick one of our missionaries and you write to them on a regular basis and you pray for them. And especially at times of their birthdays or Christmas or Easter time or something like that, you just send them a special card. Just remember, some of them are way far away from um, their family, like Lorraine Green, who was with us last year. She's going back to Africa. She's left her mother and going back to work in Africa, Africa again. And sometimes they get discouraged or miss their family. And just a little card in the mail could just give them a lift for that particular day that they need. So if you'd like to adopt one of the missionaries, just see me after the service or sometime during the week, and I'll be glad to give you some names and um, get some information for you. And anybody who's adopted missionaries in the past, I'd like to just see them and just touch base with them to see how it's coming along, if it's anything I could do to help. Thank you. Okay, it's time for our accounting, accountability actually to you for the last year in our missions program. So we want to give you the current status of Calvary's Missions Faith Investment Plan 2012-2013. Uh, the special projects we had last year, the first one was for Camp Bahamas. Uh, we wanted to help to complete the gym at that particular time, and we wanted to raise some money for it. $13,800 was pledged at that time. We received so far $13,175. So I think that's pretty good. Amen? But we still like to complete that one. I understand they're putting it to good use over there as well. As well. The second project we had, a special project, was uh, working along with Dr. Patrick Sugdale in providing um, some housing and schooling for the Pakistanian and Sudan people who were put out of their homes because of persecution and so on. So we wanted to assist them in building school. We had $6,280 pledged for that. So far, we received $5,600. So we thank the Lord for that as well. Of course, the year for will end at the end of this month. So we still have three weeks to go, and we hope that those plans will be met 100%. We also introduced the idea for our evangelistic outreach out here of starting a what we call a community garden. This is a, this is a method that is being used around the world now to uh, enhance the evangelistic outreach into our community, and we want to do that here. We just mentioned it last time, and we got a gift of $200. But we're working along with Basil Miller and Kirk Delaval. We've got an estimate now what is necessary to get it going, and it's $3,000. And uh, so we need $2,800 to meet the need to get the community garden going. And we see this as a major evangelistic outreach for the coming years. We appreciate your involvement in that. 
Now, another project you'll be hearing about later when Eunice and Eddie um, shares with you has to do with helping to provide a home for uh, uh, some individuals who need it in Cat Island, but they'll share that with you next time. That will be an additional special project, and they'll give us specific figures at that time. Now, our support of current missionaries plus cost of living increase and new support. At that time, we had a goal of $154,524. As of March the 1st, up to this point, we've received $130,671.93. And as I said, we have like three weeks to go, and we're looking for God to meet that need as well. So the total investment to date for the year, last year, was $149,846.93 with three weeks to go. We believe that this will be uh, increased as time goes on. Now, the new projects that we're coming up with for this year, that we call special projects, we want to raise some more funds to send a team of our people, young people, up to Camp Bahamas on a work project. And we need, we have a, uh, the amount scheduled here for $5,000. So we encourage you to give towards that as well. The other special project is Thailand Orphanage. Now you'll be seeing a video that Chris Worrell has prepared. I mentioned to you earlier, he's working with a Thailand pastor over there who's really going through persecution, has a lot of needs and meeting the needs of our people, the, the Christians over there. And they want to build an orphanage, and they need $5,000, and that'll be one of our special projects as well. And I mentioned a special project, community garden, $2,800 to get that project going. Now, as far as our, what we call a general fund, support of current missionaries, plus an increase for cost of living and so on, and new support, we, put, we want to raise $170,500 to meet the current needs or the needs for next year, 2013 to 14. So the total investment challenge for this coming year for our missions program then is, what was it? This thing has a life of its own here. 183, I think it was, right? I hope those figures are right, because I added it up late last night. $183,300 is what we're looking for, for the special projects and to continue our support for our missionaries. Now, just let me go quickly. I do this each year to give you the biblical basis for our, what we call our faith investment plan. This is based on 2 Corinthians 8. A faith promise investment in God's missions program is a guaranteed eternal return you cannot lose for a temporal investment you cannot keep because it does not belong to you in the first place. It's Christian stewardship faithfully applied to missions. Faith investment is giving motivated by the grace of God that enables us to give sacrificially, to give more than we think we can from what we already have. It is a commitment made between the believer and God to give a specific amount of his or her earnings for the cause of missions over a year's time, contributed either weekly or monthly or as it best fits your pay schedule. 
The specific amount is arrived at after prayerful consideration before God, based upon God's grace to supply, patterned after the grace giving of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is accompanied by a commitment based upon faith that draws upon the enabling grace of God to give what was prayerfully promised according to one's ability and beyond as enabled by the grace of God. And we have a quote here from Second Corinthians. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Listen this carefully now. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. This is where we give sacrificially based on what we have now, not just out of a figure picked out of the sky. We invite you then by faith and in response to the grace of God at work within you to invest in Calvary Bible's missions faith investment plan for the year 2013-2014. It guarantees an eternal return you cannot lose. We call it heavenly profit for a temporal investment of what does not belong to you and cannot keep. That's the money that God has given you. Remember, investing in missions guarantees an eternal reward or eternal return, an eternal return. When you give, you gain what you cannot lose. When you don't give, you lose what you cannot keep. It's time, beloved, to invest in eternity, to invest in missions. Sila, think and act on these things. And why do we give? Why do we pray? Why do we go? It's because we know that Jesus is alive and he is the hope of the nations. Jesus, hope of the nations. Jesus, Comfort for all who mourn You are the source of heaven's hope on earth Jesus, light in the darkness Jesus, truth in each circumstance you are the source of heaven's light on earth. In history, you lived and died. You broke the chains. You rose to life. You are the hope living in us. You are the rock in whom we trust. Shining for all the world to see You rose from the dead Conquering fear Our Prince of Peace Drawing us near Jesus 
us, hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all who mourn. You are the source of heaven's hope on earth. Oh, Jesus, light in the darkness. Jesus, truth in each circumstance. You are the source of heaven's light on earth. In history, you lived and died. You broke the chains. You rose to Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to our pulpit now Evangelist Ui Chin Aik.
Well, to say that I'm excited to be here is an understatement. Uh, it's always good, and uh, my wife, uh, Lydia, could not be here, and she sends her love and regards to you. Right, I'm not sure if Ellen Simonette got my email. She thought that Lydia is coming, and she said, could we get Lydia to sing? Maybe next time you could stream X or something. I don't know what it is, using modern technology. She had to teach in church, uh, sorry, in the school. Uh, we ask that you pray for us. Uh, Lydia is going to translate the English version of turning faces towards heaven into Mandarin. Because uh, in my country, I have to tell you that we got more Chinese than Bahamas. Okay. It's interesting how uh, vehement eyes look at Chinese people. When I first landed on the shores of Bahamas to the invitation of Grace Community Church in 2001, uh, they were kind enough to get a brother in between the missions conference to drive me around, you know, uh, and uh, while being driven around in a car, I can't remember what car, there were some Bahamians and they were repairing the roof on the rooftop. And on seeing a Chinese being driven in a car, one of them shouted at me and said, Chinaman, have you come to buy over the Bahamas? And just being naughty, I replied, I'm considering. <laughs> but this time, I have been elevated. I was waiting to be picked up in a hotel in the Bahamas. And one of the waiters, a man waiter, looked at me sitting my leg crossed and said, How are you doing, Chinese emperor? <laughs> and so I said, they have strange ways of looking at Chinese, you know. <laughs> How things have changed. And, uh, you know, throughout this week, uh, although I couldn't be with you throughout your entire conference, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that you value relationships and friendships uh, more than just ministry. I've come to that point in my life where many of my good old buddies are having their daughters getting married. And so I had to cut short the, the stay here just to be there for the picture taking uh, with some of these buddies of mine, only daughter getting married. So I do apologize that I have not been able to spend the entire week with you much as I would love to. Well, thank you, church, for your friendship, your prayers, and your partnership in the gospel. The last time I was here in 2008, uh, Pastor Allen was driving me around, and I keep telling him my passion uh, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known or preached. And uh, he kept tapping me on my lap, if you still remember, we've got to do it together. We've got to do it together. So thank you because you have stood together with us in the gospel of Christ. We began with two evangelists in Malaysia, and I'm happy to announce to you because of partnership and prayers, today we are over 360 evangelists in 10 countries of Asia. Can we give God a hand for this one? So what I want to do uh, very briefly in the next six or seven minutes to give you a visual, because some of you may not have been to Asia, and to give you a visual so that, uh, you know, it helps to ground some of the things I'm going to say and share and testimonies in the subsequent sessions. I'm going to just show the six to seven minutes uh, DVD and title. It's just recently been, been produced. It's called MAP, Ministries for Asia Pacific in Gospel Advance. So sit back and relax and just watch what God is doing. 
Over the next 10 years, we have big dreams for God. We intend to send out at least 1,000 evangelists serving God amongst unreached peoples in Asia, Pacific and beyond. Together, we want to dream bigger dreams for God and take on the new challenges that comes with Gospel Proclamation. has begun as a seed start in China with the initial 16 evangelists in 2006. Today has 228 evangelists. We intend to keep the momentum going. And so please pray for the speediest evangelization of rural China. we urgently need to train a generation of gospel workers and send them out. Today, RIP has spread to many lands and we are prioritizing RIP in Malaysia itself, in Sabah, Sarawak and the Chinese new villages of Peninsula Malaysia. With your help, we aim for the speediest evangelization of our beloved country. Sunshine 
dan dibaptis dalam air. Saya minta supaya anak muda-muda, pasca-pasca yang muda, marilah kita bergandeng tangan untuk menginjil dan memberitakan firman Tuhan untuk sungguh kaum murut di penjangan sepuluh tembawan ini supaya semua kita memenangkan jiwa orang yang di sini terlalu ramai yang belum mengenal Tuhan Yesus Kristus. Hanya kami keluarga saja yang melayani di kawasan Batunia sekitar 30 lebih tempat-tempat yang ada di dalam kawasan itu. Setiap hari, tengah hari saya pergi ke rumah panjang sebab gereja dekat. can partner with MAP as individuals, as a church, and even as Christian body, as partners to fulfill this urgent need for people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now we have the new building. Thanks to the generous contributions and support of churches and individuals, we aim to equip emerging younger leaders, be it in the church or in the marketplace, for ongoing engagement with the gospel in this country. So, brothers and sisters, once again, we want to thank God. We want to thank you. And we ask that uh, the Lord bless you, and as He blesses you and your churches and your ministry, you will in turn bless His name and bless the furtherance of His gospel. To God be the glory. The theme for the conference is the urgency of evangelism in the world today. And as a prelude to our subsequent sessions, I have begun your combined Bible class or whatever you call it with the theme of defending the gospel. If we are going to share the gospel and spread the gospel, we need to know, first of all, what is the Christian gospel? And so I've tried to share with the group, and for the sake of those of you who are not present, the Christian gospel is nothing less, and can I also say nothing more, than the biblical gospel. 
It is the apostolic gospel. It is a received gospel. It is a revealed gospel. And it's a unique gospel. And we have no business trying to dilute it, trying to diffuse it, so that we become more acceptable in the times that we live in. All right? Uh, and I have given seven trends. After that, we'll look at a biblical text. But uh, for those of you who are not around, take down Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. I shall not recapitulate. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. The gospel that we have and we are called to defend today is a revealed gospel. It is a received gospel. That's what Paul says to the church in Galatia. But it's also a Christocentric gospel. It is a gospel centered on Christ, that which we have received. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. We pass on to you as our first importance, as our priority, that Christ Jesus died for our sins. And the proof that He died was that He was buried. And was buried. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. So there is no gospel without the proclamation of the atoning, vicarious, substitutionary death of Christ for the world. That we must never minimize or neglect. The second thing about the gospel is that our gospel is the gospel of hope. I was in the New York just for a break, uh, visited a, a new church in, in a place called, I don't know how familiar you are, you probably are, they are close to you, a Flushing Meadow, and uh, the largest Christian Missionary Alliance Chinese church is about 1,400 now. When I met this pastor, they were about 400. They still retain the old place and use it for a different purpose. They bought over a Jewish synagogue. 2008, I visited them. They were busy taking down the chandeliers and whatnot in the synagogue. And uh, today, the church, uh, you know, they can put 500 people. But outside the church, I like it. They put a cross and they put there, Jesus is hope. Can we have an amen for that? Because our gospel is the gospel of the empty tomb. Not just of the cross, but the gospel of the empty tomb. Our gospel is a gospel of hope. That is what attracted me to Christ when I was a young boy of 10 years old. Converted from Taoism and a mixture of Buddhism and Confucianism. Because I don't see any hope in these idols. There's no assurance. Only in Christ do we have assurance. And that's why we have a crystal centric, a unique gospel. We have a final gospel. Christ is the final word. It's not what you believe that matters. It's what He says that matters. Can we have an amen for that one? And so we are called to defend this gospel. Any other gospel is a different gospel. Any other gospel is no gospel, in the words of the Apostle Paul. So in the adult class, I gave seven trends uh, that attacks the gospel today. Some of them may have been a wash ashore to you in the Bahamas. Some may be coming, so it's good to be forewarned so that you can be forearmed. So let me give you briefly, without expanding on it, the seven trends in which we are called to defend the gospel against as we consider the urgency of the evangelism in the world today. The first defense is against what you call works, righteousness, faith, or religions. And can I put into that category Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, or even Hinduism, and many of the faiths in the East. Do it your way. Work to get married. Uh, if you think of Tibet today, 
when I visited Tibet and Bhutan, a lot of works righteousness. You got to keep turning the prayer bells. You got to keep flying the flags where the words of the Buddhist scriptures, the mantra on it. And so I asked these Bhutanese, why are some of these houses filled with all these flags? It's because the more flags you have, the more the scriptures are there. You fly it. When the wind blows, it gives merit to the house owner. Are you with me? It is a works righteousness religion that we are called to defend against. Uh, and just before I forget today, there seems to be much confusion. People trying to sing the difference between Judaism, Islam, and Christianity says, actually, we all worship the same God. It's just that we call him different names. I've got a deacon from a conservative church, good friend of mine, who tell me that I've got to challenge him. I said to him, look, brother, if you ask a Muslim or a Jew, when they address their God, I don't argue about Old Testament because, you know, Christianity is not just about the Old Testament. Christianity is also about the New Testament. <laughs> ask them whether the God we worship and they address is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a Christocentric test. If the Jew says yes, the Muslim says yes, then I say same God. Because that, that's a God that the Apostle Paul mentioned in Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to God, as he goes into this litany of praise, for what God in Christ has achieved for us and all our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And so we must never minimize or compromise on the uniqueness of Christ our Savior and Lord. To mention by whether Allah or Yahweh is not good enough, it's not specific enough. You need to put forward the test of Christ. The second trend we are called to defend against, as we think of uh, before confirming and partnering in the gospel, is to defend against liberalism. Uh, put it simply, if I may quote my beloved professor, Dr. Packer, who's still around at 86 and still as sharp. <laughs> when I was at Regent College, I put my hands around him so as not to shock him because the last time I was there was 17 years ago. I don't want to say, hello, Dr. Packer, can you remember me? It's not fair to text the memory of an old person, you know, and then you suddenly show up from nowhere. And, <laughs> and I said, I'm Chinek from Malaysia. He remembers my name. And I remember him saying, you know, Theological liberalism started with this guy. Some professors think it's very unkind, but he gave a name to the chef who began this liberal theology in the church, which is still, you know, half dying in some of our places of Christendom today. It started with this chef called Friedrich Schleimacher. Okay, I don't have a blackboard, but his name is not easy to spell. Friedrich, you can spell, but Schleimacher is a little bit tricky. But never mind. Uh, Dr. Packer calls him the demon king of theology uh, because he, he tries to demythologize scripture, you know, he was trying to accommodate in the age of the Enlightenment in his address, an address to the culture despises of our time. Trying to accommodate the Christian faith to make it more palatable and acceptable uh, to the people around. So trying to explain away miracles, uh, trying to explain a lot of the claims of Christ. Uh, that's no good. Liberalism simply says, I can get there just by being a social do-gooder. Social gospel is no gospel. Any gospel that moves away from the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, brothers and sisters, is moving us as a church, as an individual, in the wrong direction. 
That's why the apostle, when he says, I am eager not to know anything among you, when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the gospel that the apostle preached. We are to defend the gospel today against what they call legalism. Uh, the whole background to the letter of Paul in Galatians is there are legalistic Judaizers that infiltrated the church and is confusing the Christians, the early believers in Galatia, telling them that, you know, grace alone is not enough for salvation. It's got to be, let me put it simply to you, grace plus circumcision. If you're not circumcised, we're not sure if you're saved, you know. And so they're adding to the gospel of free grace. Uh, and I share with the class today the same thing. Uh, but let me make a differentiation because you, in America, you have this, this uh, church called the Church of Christ. You heard of it? But that's different from the one in Australia. The Church of Christ in Australia is very evangelical. Alright, we got people on our board there. Uh, but uh, the Church of Christ, I think in America, unless they have changed, would say that to be saved, you've got to get water baptized. Did you get that? So it is grace plus water baptism equals to salvation. Paul would have none of that. And there's a substance of his letter in Galatians. It has got to be grace plus nothing else equals to salvation. By grace are you saved through faith? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. They are not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by good works, brothers and sisters. We are saved unto good works. And good works is a, shall we say, a expression of the saved. To give glory to God the Father. We are to defend the gospel against universalism. Universalism simply says that all roads lead to heaven. You can believe in Buddha, you get there. You can believe in Confucius, you get there. You can believe whatever you want, you get there. As long as you're a good person and a good heart. And we know that this is not good enough because we affirm today the apostolic uh, proclamation by Peter, this time in Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Can we hear an amen for that one? And let me tell you, good people, it's not going to be easy. Increasingly, we are going to be under pressure. We're going to be under a lot of difficulties in the coming days ahead. Sometimes through legislation, through laws and things like that. Uh, so it's coming. And uh, let me warn you, even in the Bahamas, with all your great Christian roots, it may be coming. And you're called to defend. Defend the uniqueness of the gospel. We are to defend the gospel against secularism. Secularism simply says there is no God. Interestingly, I have a cutting in a newspaper uh, in my country. Let me read it to you. From Vatican City, world bishops, I'm talking about Roman Catholic bishops, gather to counter decline of faith. Listen, let me read to you two paragraphs. Catholic bishops from around the world are convening for a synod to debate how to counter rising secularism. On the 50th anniversary of the historic but controversial Second Vatican Council. I won't go into detail on that one. The Synod will hear a call from Pope Benedict. Uh, he's just resigned February the 28th. Uh, first Pope after 600 years. A living Pope who resigned from office. Uh, Benedict is seen for a new evangelization drive for the Catholic Church, which is fast, listen carefully, this is one of the trends, losing 
followers in Europe and feels increasingly discriminated against even the Catholic faith in many parts of the world. So they too are facing persecution. And so we have to defend the gospel against secularism, which says that there is no God. And before I forget, uh, you know, I used to assume that Malaysia are very religious. The problem is uh, how to demonstrate that Jesus is the only God. And interestingly, uh, this is not a case now with uh, what you call a baby buses. In Malaysia, people who are born after the 1980s. Many of them don't even believe in God. Uh, when I preached a message in the church, uh, a young man came and said, Pastor, after the service, shake my hand, thank you. I think you're talking my language. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I mean, I'm trying to share the gospel in the office with my friends and colleagues. He's in their 30s. Nine out of ten of them in Malaysia, who are in their 30s today, don't even believe in God. That is rising secularism. So you may feel a little bit isolated and insulated because of your beautiful waters. Uh, but because of the internet and everything that's happening around, we are a global village. And we need to be aware of the trends that undermine the uniqueness of the apostolic gospel. We have to defend it against secularism. Number six, we have to defend it against positive humanism. We say that, you know, as long as you're a good heart, you're well-educated, you don't do bad things, you're a good person, uh, on your moral record, I think you'll make it there. Are you with me? That's positive humanism. And most people, I think, in the West think that I don't have to go to church, I don't have to believe in Christ, I'm a good person, I give much to charity, I do good works, maybe I'm a philanthropist. Why should God condemn me to hell? So that's positive humanism. And finally, again, more prevalent in the West where people don't like to commit. Uh, you know, they say, uh, the last one, we have to defend a gospel against agnosticism. Well, they say, I'm not telling you there's no God. Uh, even if it's there, I'm not sure. That's all I can say. And so against all this, Christ, who has been revealed to us in flesh, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ has come. Christ has spoken and taught. Christ has died on the cross. Christ is risen from the dead, ascended to God on the right hand of the Father. Christ is coming again to judge the world. That is the gospel that we have. And so we have no liberty to be distracted from it, to dilute it. I have warned in the class that today it's very fashionable to go into religious dialogue, inter-religious, interfaith dialogue. I don't know whether you have it in the Bahamas, but in our place it's very common. But I want to warn you that uh, our dialogue, if you are truly biblical Christians, must follow the lines of the apostolic kind of dialogue. And so we take the cue from the Apostle Paul in Acts. Remember when for two years he set up what he called the you see, the school or the hall of Tyrannus, where he called the Jews to come, let's talk. But Paul's dialogumai, dialogue, is not to find commonalities with Judaism from which he left, so that there's no tension, no persecution for him and for the church, but it's simply to convince the Jews to dialogue that Jesus is the Messiah and the only way. Are you folks with me? That is the purpose of Christian dialogue, not to minimize 
not to, can I use words, not to compromise so that uh, we get acceptable in our culture and we are the Mr. Popular guy and can still go back to our churches and run our churches. That is not the apostolic biblical dialogue, a dialogue you might. So please, when you do enter some of you into religious dialogue, know that you are a committed biblical Christian. I go in to declare that Christ is the only way. Acts 4.12, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for that, I'm saying to you, we will not be liked. We will continue to be persecuted. So it was with the early church, so it shall be with the 21st century church. But we need to move from defense to proclamation, to confirmation, and partnership in the gospel. Let me just say that whatever is worth doing in this life, brief life, as I come here, I am reminded of brevity of life. I was looking for friend Pinder. Because the last time he and Margaret took me for lunch, you know, all those chaps who took me for lunch, I do try to remember their names. <laughs> I was just joking, uh, Pastor Allen, with your church, I haven't seen the board who has booked me for lunch and dinner. So I, I know we have a Malaysian here, so I like to persecute Malaysians when I'm overseas, you see. So I said, for all the vacancies, no lunch, no dinner bookings, I will just write the name Ampusam, Ampusam, Ampusam. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, Ampusam, don't worry, I'll be kind to you. All right. But we need to move on, and I want to now turn to the Scriptures. We still have some time. I want to look at confirmation of the Gospel, from defense to confirmation. But I want to say that over the course of the few sessions I'm with you, you're going to find that all three needs to happen together. We need to defend the gospel, we need to confirm the gospel, and we need to partner in the gospel. What is worth doing? Gospel proclamation is worth doing. And anything that's worth doing is not worth doing alone. We've got to do it together. It is worth multiplying to the nth degree. It is worth, after you'll see the DVD when it comes on, an exponential growth. And this is what we are seeing. Uh, one of the things I have learned in ministry is that uh, because of the partnership and press of the churches, exponential growth of E to the power X, you know, it goes this way. In the gospel, brother, it's possible. All right, and you're going to see the demonstration afterwards. But turn with me first to the Old Testament as we think about confirming the gospel. Even in the Psalms, Israel is not meant just to be a light unto themselves. Israel is always called and meant to be a light to the Gentiles. And so in Psalm 96, verse 3, we have this verse. Declare His glory, Psalm 96, 3, among the nations. Don't just declare in the Bahamas. Don't just declare it across the coast to the 50 states of the United States of America. Don't just declare it to the Jamaicans or the Haitians, we are to declare His glory, the glory of God who has revealed Himself in Christ among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And if you want me to read on, it's amazing how uh, the God of the Old Testament contrasts Himself with all the other gods that are no gods. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all small gods. For the, all the gods of the nations are what? Idols. And by the way, if you make money your God, that is an idol. Over here. If you make comfort your God, that is an idol. 
If you make just hanging around in this country and just wanting to do things in your country, that is not good enough for God. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Splendor. Well, oh, I, I shouldn't forget that. But the Lord made the heavens. So God is not just some small tribal chief you can move around. He's the God of the universe. And again, the psalmist says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. We could go on and on, but I want now to quickly turn to the New Testament. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1 verse 16. You know, this principle has been multiplied many times over. I'm going to share with you some testimonies after reading this verse. Where in Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul declared, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. Even though people may yell at me and shout at me. Evangelists in China, in Shenzhen, were distributing tracts. Some people just throw these tracts down before their face. They're not ashamed. They'll pick it up and give it to somebody else who will read it. Not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, against the pantheon of Greek gods, against Eastern mysticism, against the, the Roman religion that says that Caesar is God. The Apostle Paul declares, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is what? The power of God. In other words, the gospel has inherent power in itself. It was the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon who says, truth, and gospel is truth, truth is like a lion. You don't keep defending it, pastor. Church, you don't keep defending truth. When you go to the, when you visit the zoo, and you see a huge lion, the king of the jungle, maybe a, a small little boy is naughty, he's not well taught by the parents, and he, to the cage, you know, he would take a stick and keep poking the lion and lion, wow. He's smiling. <laughs> if you're the zookeeper, you want to teach the kid a lesson, a bad lesson. You don't keep standing between the stick and the lion and try to protect the lion. No, don't do that, kid. Don't do that, kid. You let the cage be loose, and the lion will have lunch. <laughs> Truth will do his job. Let the lion out. There's inherent power in the gospel. So in the book that I read, uh, that, I, that I wrote, there's a chapter, eight chapters to teach you how to advance the gospel. One of the chapter, the theme is called gospel power. So let me share it with you now to testify to the power of the gospel from India to Tibet and just to tell you one story from the islands, the Cook Islands. Let me give it to you now. In one of our evangelistic meetings in Namchi, North India. Over 120 gathered for the evening. It was an evening evangelistic meeting in one of the mountain tops of India, North India. A six feet two Hindu man, Taekwondo black belt, by the way, Pastor. <laughs> he came to the meeting, you know. Luckily, he didn't ask me for a martial arts contest. Found Christ that night. Below is his testimony. I was born and raised as an Orthodox Hindu. Since young, I had no peace in my heart and looked for meaning in life. Out of frustrations, I joined up with gangs, took up martial arts, and now teach Taekwondo to many new students. He said I've killed a few people with my hands, that, that the 62 guy. 
Maps, two days of meetings in Namchi are significant in my life as I receive Jesus and experience His love and peace. Pray for my family who are still Hindus. These are His exact words. Next, we move to the rooftop of Tibet. It's amazing, this testimony. Listen here. It's called Joseph. He took this name because he had to flee, you know, from the family. Uh, Joseph, one of the Tibetan evangelists we're supporting, the map supports, has this testimony to share. I put on monk robes since the age of nine. That's Buddhism, huh? Tibetan Buddhism. And later left for studies in India. Listen, the power of a gospel track or word. I don't know what track was given to him, but he said, at age 16, upon reading the claims of Christ in John chapter 14, verse 6, it must be a gospel track. Somebody gave it to him as a student. I put my trust in Jesus. He didn't go to church. That's the power of the word. About 30 family members surrounded me one evening with an ultimatum. They found out their boy has become a Christian. You know, as a no-no in Tibetan society. And uh, they gathered around a circle. His poor chap, 16-year-old, was put in the center and the family member gave him an ultimatum. Put on your monk robes again. Go back to the temple and start chanting. Or tonight you die. That's Tibetan society. Don't bring shame to our society. So this poor boy was wondering what to say. I'm too young to die. You know? They're going to kill me and the brothers are ready with the knives and what else? <laughs> Looking at him, what do you want? And the Lord gave him wisdom. He said, I responded. Okay, I will put back the ropes. But then, but then he has a but. But. But in my heart, I will still believe in Jesus. Now that's not good enough <laughs> for them. At this, his eldest brother struck his head with an iron rod. Another one came to cut, try and cut his ears. Joseph bled and ran away. The mother pushed him out of the door. Son, leave this family. Go away and don't ever come back. Joseph bled and ran away to the neighboring province of Lanzhou, near Tibet. A Chinese man who wasn't a Christian by name, Brother Wang, took him in and cared for him. How do you like that? For over a year. Today, now this, this Joseph gave this Chinese man a gospel. Today, both of them co-labor for Christ in Lhasa, Tibet. Can we give God a hand for this one? All right, Joseph has shared the gospel to about 30 Tibetans at that time of writing, and together with Brother Wang, they call it a fellowship of 15 believers with nine Tibetans. You know it's not easy to reach them, but they managed to have one nine Tibetans for Christ. A small local church, about 15 people. All right, final one, which I shared, testimony on the Cook Islands. I was in the Cook Islands on the missions. you find some of these pictures at the back of the book. And uh, a man I met attended every single meeting we took over the course of several days, about a week or so. I've never met, met a man so hungry for the Word of God. He even asked, you know, this meeting you're going to speak tonight is called the ladies' meeting. Can I go? I said, it's a ladies' meeting? I don't know. You better ask the boss. You know, it's not my God. He wants to come for a ladies' meeting. I said, yeah, maybe you can. You, you talk to whoever's in charge. I'm just speaking. He was always attentive and appeared hungry for the word and eager to learn. He's a, just a newborn babe. Hungry. A local, he's a local Cook Islander. By the way, I should tell you some stories since you're on the island. In the Cook Island, does it surprise you? They protect their heritage and the property just like you, your waters. There is a legislation that says no house, hotel or anything, not like Bahamas, 
shall be taller than a coconut tree. You're laughing. This is legislation. <laughs> you know, we've got to protect our industry, you know. People should fly and see coconut trees and not all buildings on top. See. Anyway, let me come back to this man. A local Cook Islander residing in Melbourne, Australia. He shares his personal story. I give it to you on gospel power. I am divorced, on drugs, jobless and depressed. A lot of tattoo over his body I saw, you know, this man. I have come to the Cook Islands to say my last farewell to family members. They don't know that. And friends. I plan to take my own life upon returning to Melbourne, Australia. He said, I've got the ropes in my garage. I prepared them. I've just come to say, see them for the last time. I'm not telling them, but I'm coming for the last time. So you talk about depression, suicide, a few cases in the Bahamas. This is gospel power. Listen carefully. A local church pastor shared the gospel with me one evening. I believed. I received Christ and found fresh hope and energy for life. I'm staying on an extra few months in the Cook Islands to learn and grow as much as I can. I want to get on with the Lord, he says, who loved me and gave me back my life. I want to return to Australia a stronger person. I want to be disciple first. I won't be needing those ropes anymore. Hallelujah. These are real life people I've met, you know, on the field. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so, brothers and sisters, the best way to defend the lion, I give you this picture now, open the cage. Don't keep trying to defend the, the lion. The lion can defend itself. Truth can defend itself. Let it loose outside of the church, in the neighborhoods, in the offices, in the marketplace, in the public square. Let me just give a warning then. Uh, let, me, let me just say I returned to Vancouver, Canada after 17 years. 1988, when I was there, studying at Regent College, the attendance of church roughly across Canada was 5%. And so you can't call that country a Christian country. And only 5% attend church on a Sunday. 95% are either sleeping, waiting for the supermarket to open, or maybe playing around on the beach. I don't know what they're doing. Listen, 2012, I went 5%. 2012, I returned, and my professor, Ward Gass, told me, Chinek, it's not good, the faith you're doing here. We're now 1%. Uh, you know what's the problem? The problem is many churches and Christians have allowed the Christian gospel, the Christian faith, I use the word now, to be domesticated. It's okay. Just do your thing in a sanctuary. Don't go out and talk about Christ. You believe your Christ, we believe our Buddha. Or we believe what we want to believe. Just don't cross the line and tell us the gospel. And so every generation, the lesson to learn is, if you are to prevent the downslide of the Christian faith in the Bahamas to begin with, every generation must proclaim the gospel to the next generation. Let me put it more simply. God only has children. God does not have spiritual grandchildren. Are you with me? Every generation 
must disciple the next, must mentor the next. So would you pray for me? I'm no more that young, although my hair is still black. That's what happens when you marry a young wife. They try to make you up to look young, you know? <laughs> uh, so I'm not young anymore, let me say that. And one of the things that the Lord has convicted me is to write, for one thing, to leave something behind for future generations. But the second thing the Lord has convicted me is, look out for young men and women whom you can mentor as emerging younger evangelists for the world. So would you pray for me that the Lord will cause me to cross paths with many of those uh, so that they too can be mentored and discipled and take on the torch. I give you the picture of the urgency of evangelism until the Lord comes again. The gospel race, brothers and sisters, is a marathon, baton, passing race. You got it? It's not a 100-meter dash. And so every generation must look out for the next generation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where the apostle Paul says to Timothy, Whatever you heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, that I publicly declare the truth of God's word, the gospel, all right? Teach what? Other men and women who will also teach others. And how you count it, I don't know, but if you start with Paul to Timothy, it's one generation. Alright, the first generation. Timothy is supposed to teach what? Other men, the next generation. And this other man is supposed to teach others. So within the apostolic exhortation, even in the work of evangelism, let me just say part of discipleship, we have to, within our own local churches, work on, you've got to work on, you've got to focus on it, what I call three-generation discipleship. Three-generational discipleship. If you've got a pastor with a gift, you pastor younger pastors who will pastor other pastors. If you're an evangelist, you do the same. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you do the same. If you're a youth worker, you do the same. Where's Antoine now? If you are the worship, you're behind me. Where's Antoine? Okay. If you are the worship uh, pastor, you do the same. Find out those who can sing without being out of tune. And you look at those you know, who can sing and, and edify the church and build the church uh, to singing and, and you mentor the same. You challenge the same. All right? The urgency of the gospel. Let me now... Uh, say a few things and I want to close. I want to keep time. Firstly, we need to think about the hell line. We need to believe that there's no hope in Christless graves. There's no hope in Christless graves. No matter what the universalists may want to say. And so we've got to believe. Uh, some people calculate, you go to these schools in School of Evangelism, Billy Graham School of Evangelism, Britain. I can't remember the statistics now. They say every minute, don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people are marching towards hell. So we've got a message, brothers and sisters, to depopulate hell and to repopulate heaven. Declare it. Let the lion loose. We have seen it work in the deserts of Inner Mongolia. We have seen it work in the rooftop of Tibet. We have seen it work in the jungles among the tribes of Sabah and Sarawak. Declare it. Declare His glory among the nations. What is the best way to confirm the gospel? Proclaim it. Share it. Write it. Sing it. If I may use the word, propagate it. Propagate it. Don't just keep it within the churches. I want to close with a story so that you could pray for my country because the gospel is under attack. 
In my country, we have a Malay Bible. We call it the Al-Kitab. Because there's a lot of quarrels now over the use of the word Allah. Uh, some Muslims, particularly in Malaysia, extremists would like to claim that they have a prerogative and exclusive right to the word. You cannot use it, you know. It's our word, so don't use it to address your God. But by the way, just for some factual stuff so that you see in perspective, the word Allah, no matter how you want to argue from etymology, L and this, all that kind of you know, semantics. Can I say this now? Even the Muslims agree. You can't change history. The word Allah is a pre-Islamic word. Are you with me? Even before their prophet, notice my preposition, not our prophet. Even before their prophet was born, Islam is a 560 AD kind of phenomenon. Are you with me? Before Muhammad was born, Arabic Christians have been addressing God using the word Allah. So you cannot come after 560 years to say, now we are using this word copyright. You can't use this word now. Does it make sense? Alright, i give you now something in the Malaysian context. Now in my country, we have a peninsula Malaysia. For those of you who do not know, I'm sorry I don't have a map. Uh, but if you know where Thailand is, I'm a bit insulted because most uh, Americans and maybe Bahamians know where Singapore is. How many of you know where Singapore is? Uh, we're just right on top of Singapore. Okay. We have a strip called Peninsula Malaysia. But uh, Malaysia consists of three components. There's Peninsula Malaya or Malaysia. And then there's East Malaysia. We have Sabah and Sarawak. Okay. Those of you who like mountain climbing, if you go to Malaysia, if you want to climb the highest peak in Southeast Asia, Mount Kinabalu, that is in Sabah, all right? Here is a letter. I read it, a little part of it to you. And with that, we're going to close with a note. Statement by the Commission on Sabah Affairs of the National Evangelical Christian Fellowship Malaysia. Topic, an attack on the Malay Bible, the Al-Kitab, on the religious freedom. Let me explain the word of Bumiputra Christians. Bumiputra simply means sons of the soil. It's not just the Malays, huh? but the tribal peoples are also equally sons of the soil, just like your native Indians in America and things like that. The increasingly provocative attacks by certain quarters against the Malay language Bible, which they use, the Al-Kitab, is a direct attack on the rights of Bumiputra Christians, sons of the soil, tribal people, to their religious freedom as enshrined in their agreements at the formation and in the federal constitution. By the way, they joined the Malaysian Federation as a country, as a state. They came in in 1928 or somewhere around that time. And they have been using that word before, you know, Malaysia was formed as, as that country. It is within the mandate of the authorities to investigate the member of parliament. There's an extremist guy by the name of Ibrahim Ali for calling on Muslims in the country to seize and to burn the Malay Bible. They wanted to burn the Bible in front of us, you know. According to the full measure of the law to ensure peace and harmony in the country. It is also within the mandate of the authorities to investigate a threatening note sent by a group that calls on certain groups uh, to burn the Bibles in Penang, in the island. While Christians are peace-loving as our Holy Bible enjoins us to be, we are compelled to speak against these provocations which follow ongoing attempts to undermine the religious freedom. One recent episode is the arbitrary changing of one's religion. You know, we have got an IC. Do you folks here carry an IC? You don't, you're very free people, huh? but Malaysians, we, we have an IC, 
Okay? I'll show you one later. There's a card here. Right? Identification card, we call it. That's the most important card. And so it's very interesting just because many of the East Malaysians, they have a, I need to educate you a bit. Ampusam, you know, they have a word bin and binti. But they are not necessarily Muslims, you understand. So when they go and register for the IC, because the son or daughter has the word bin and binti, straight away, instead of asking, are you a Christian? They say, Muslim, Muslim. You are declaring a wrong religion for me. So the, the church is objecting to that. Alright, uh, so for, for Sabah and Sarawak, they're saying that it must be remembered that both states have guaranteed safeguards. There's an 18-point agreement to be part of the new nation. And the first of these conditions pertains to religious freedom. In Sabah, we have enjoyed religious freedom since time immemorial. Interesting, huh? All the history. Uh, we have even, according to our cultural tradition, built a stone memorial in a place called Keningau to commemorate the safeguard to our religious freedom. We call on all to respect the rights of tribal Christians, Bumiwa Christians, to religious freedom. To all Christians, at that time of writing, we call for patience, forgiveness, and love in these trying times. Because they are threatening to burn our Bibles, you see, to provoke us. We choose not to retaliate, but to pray for our beloved country, Malaysia, and for those intent on Spreading hate. How about for, for an update for you, Ampusam? So it almost happened, but it didn't happen. Huh? Police were there. I was in Penang at that time speaking. I was worried there's a traffic jam, there'll be riots, as they burn the Bible. They're hoping to stir us, is it? Can I encourage you? When you find Muslims coming to your land, declare the gospel. Share with them the gospel. Nobody's going to persecute you. Are you with me? For, for trying to tell somebody who's a Muslim coming here the gospel. And I believe, with that I end, the days are coming in the months and years ahead. Not just the Chinese. Huh? Now that I see a Chinese embassy. Can you educate me? Was the Chinese embassy around here in 2008? I don't remember seeing one. So one of the things that's happening, I think, in God's economy and providence is that God is going to send many, many peoples from all nations to the shores of the Bahamas so that this place will be the land of their spiritual birth. Are you with me? One final story. Missionaries have a lot of stories. <laughs> My country has a lot of migrant populations. And there was a time when a lot of Vietnamese, communist-based, not Christians, you can call them atheists, would come to Malaysia for work, laborer, this, that. A high percentage of them have found Malaysia to be their land of spiritual birth. Listen, so much so that the rate was so alarming that the Vietnamese government is reviewing its policy of allowing their own people to come to Malaysia. Because they live as communists, they return as Christians and disciples. Are you with me? And so maybe Vietnamese are going to be washed ashore to the Bahamas. The Chinese are here. Don't just look at them as Chinese businessmen trying to spoil your living and upset your market. Don't just look at them as people who come to try and take over your jobs. But look at them with eyes of compassion. Look beyond them. And for many of them, God is sending them to the Bahamas so that this is a way they can come to know Jesus, the only way. This is the first Lord's Day of the month and we're going to receive at this time as we sing our theme song for the conference, we're going to receive our benevolent offering. 
which is uh, normally received at this time. Would you please stand together as we sing our closing theme song, People Need the Lord.
Our Father, thank you again for what our hearts felt and certainly our, our soul has been affected by this day. Now, Lord, we pray that we would do as we have been directed, that we would indeed let the lion out and let it do its work. And Lord, may we be a part of that and do so with a commitment to you so that, again, that Jesus Christ might be shed abroad in the context in which you've placed all of us. These things, Father, we ask again in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's children says, Amen. Amen.